0: Thank you.
1: Guys and all you fucking YouTube watchers out there, this is the beginning of. Well, I guess I should start by saying uh this is Bang and Dang. We are the Multi Michiganders coming at you for the coming last. At you from the
2: BDM
1: Studios. We are Bang and Dang, and we
2: are the Multi Michiganders coming with you, nuttah. Episode. The last and final part of Wide Earth, part four, from. Outlaws and Gunslingers episodes. Uh, just a reminder, guys. Uh, season 3 of Yellowstone starts on us a f- fuck about 21st of June, guys. Promise check you. it out.
1: Promise you nobody gives a fuck check about Yellowstone.
2: Check it out. Check it If you never heard of it before, go check out Yellowstone. Got Kevin Costner and all that. That's all you need to know. Uh, and then watch the first two
1: seasons. For all you people on YouTube, this is what we said we would do when we started YouTube channel. Exclusive YouTube stuff. Uh, this is going to be just a uh, little bit of the right. beginning of... The uh, This episode So yeah, like I said wider. Earp Part 4 this
2: episode.
1: Part 4 Part 4 We left off last episode Part we leave 3 off? With Earp's vendetta ride He killed a bunch of motherfuckers Motherfuckers paid They did Paid the price Paid the piper Run around shooting motherfuckers in the head and Paid shit. the piper So yeah we're gonna get Borderline started. against the law Well he was the law All Right. That's what I'm saying oh that's the problem we have today well is uh, <laughs> that
2: what's going on right now we got people like Wyatt Earp running around and cotton cat people's asses
1: okay. so, so be it, it. Uh, Wyatt's vendetta ride lasted a little over a year during right. which the irk posse along with Doc Holliday eliminated old man Clanton Billy Clanton Frank McClory Tom McClory Frank Stilwell yeah. Indian Charlie Dixie Gray Florentino Cruz Johnny Barnes Jim Crane Harry Head Bill Leonard, Joe Hill, Luther King, Charlie Snow, Billy Lang, Swing Hunt, Billy Grounds, and Hank Swilling. All those motherfuckers were some badass motherfuckers. Well, they thought they were some badass motherfuckers, but they got moited. They
2: they were some dirty son bitches, though. I mean, uh, uh, we're not saying that the Wyatts were like the fucking angels from heaven coming down and fucking uh, uh, cleaning out the bad.
1: These guys were some fucking bad motherfuckers, too. I think that's exactly what we're saying. <laughs> but, look at that list. So it's a hell of a list. There's like 20 people, 15 people,
2: wherever the fuck it was. I don't, I don't think any serial killers have that big of a list.
1: Well, there's definitely serial killers with bigger lists. That's a pretty big list there. How many people? There's only uh, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19. 19 fucking people? Well, most serial killers don't, but a lot of them do. There's a lot of them out there that do. Okay. These are all justified killings. Yeah. Revenge. Revenge. Well, after Wyatt saw Doc for the final time, Holiday's health continued to get worse. As a realist, Doc was not one to believe in miraculous cures, but hoping that the... Gampa Hot Springs and Sulfur Vapors right. might improve his health. He headed right. for Glenwood Springs, Colorado okay. in May of 1887. Mm. Registering at the fashionable Hotel Glenwood, he grew steadily worse, spending his last 57 days in bed at the hotel. Couldn't do shit. And was delirious for 14 of them. What if he would have went to the fucking uh, Hot spring? He tried. I'm saying. He never went there successfully, though. He did. Ended He's up at that- bedridden at the hotel. Right. What well, if he just kept going and going and going? Hot Springs didn't work. Yeah, but well, he went fire once. Twice. He was in Glenwood Springs where the hot springs were. I am assume he's been there, was there millions of times. Every and hours day. If I <laughs> helped why he was there, he was like, I would
2: have to live here. I would have to literally live in the fucking. Uh, my fucking
1: fingers and toes would have to grow webs in between them for me to survive. You know what it here. was. It was the fucking
2: uh, the moisture and the steam. Steam helps a lot, obviously. He could actually build a hut over the fucking springs, build a house, and have the steam just constantly in his house, and he probably would have lived for another five years, because the moisture and that would have loosened his lungs up, and he would have been all right. He died from pneumonia, basically, afterwards, because his lungs couldn't fucking clear, after he got so sick. Is that why? Well, he died from tuberculosis, but pneumonia, really.
1: I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> on November 8th 1887 Doc awoke clear eyed and asked for a glass of whiskey Doc awoke <laughs> it was a given it was a, It was a given to him it was given to him and he drank it down with enjoyment I then <laughs> looking down at his bare feet he said this is funny and died he always that's figured it. he would be killed with his boots on yeah that's fucking crazy looked down at his bare feet and, uh, he took his last fucking double shot of whiskey Gone. Gone. Right. We did cover this in Doc Holiday episode of Outlaws yeah. and Gunslinger. So if you want uh, right. to go listen to his career in depth, go look
2: at that episode. Right. And that is, guess what, guys? If you're looking for more, you ain't watching it here because that is it. Check out the rest of episode four of Wyatt Herb. With the outlaws and gunslingers from Mouthy Michiganders.
1: Bang, bang! Check us out. Mouthymichiganders.podbean.com. This episode will release tomorrow. Mm. If you're uh, listening, watching this live stream. We shall see you motherfuckers later. Bang, bang!
2: All right, well, the, the San Diego Union printed a report from the San Francisco call on the 9th of July in 1882 that Virgil Earp was in San Francisco. He was receiving treatment for his shattered arm, as report stated, and that uh, Wyatt was expected to arrive from Colorado that day. That was uh, July 9th, 1882. They're expecting Wyatt Earp to arrive from Colorado. Wyatt took a job managing a horse stable in Santa Rosa. Earp developed a reputation as a sportsman as well as a gambler. You know, that motherfucker is a sportsman, but he can gamble. He's a gambling sportsman. <laughs> or is he a sportsman gambler? First sportsman first and then a gambler.
1: We can't do Chris Delia's voice thing no more, man. Oh no. He's cancelled. Oh no. Cancelled.
2: Uh, although it was learned later that and he's not. Although it, it is. Although <laughs> it was
1: learned later that uh, the horses were leased. Well, you kind of gotta give the first part of that sentence uh, for people like, to what know. You need know no horses?
2: Well, he was re- <laughs> re- he he was reported to own six six horses in a stable in San Francisco. Although it was learned that later that the horses were leased. Leased. So he was he was just paying for you you know when I need them I'm gonna come and get these motherfuckers. My uh, Yeah. Right.
1: I would assume that the horses are racehorses, though. So
2: Yeah. Well, right. Why so would you just not?
1: Least them. Well, following Wyatt's return to San Francisco, Josephine began using the name Josephine Earp.
2: Josephine, Josephine Earp.
1: Josephine was Earp's common law wife for 46 years until his death. Wyatt and Josie remained in San Francisco for about nine months until early 1883 when they left for Silverton, Colorado, where silver and gold mining were flourishing. Right. It was the first of many mining camps and boom towns in which they lived. However, he still owned a house in Tombstone with his former common-law wife, Maddie.
2: Right, Maddie. Waited
1: for him. Everybody
2: everybody remembers Maddie.
1: She waited for him in Colton, though, uh, where his parents and uh, Virgil were living. She's like, when's
2: Wyatt coming back?
1: Well, During the summer of 1882, she sent him a letter saying she wanted a divorce. She had met a gambler from Arizona, and he had asked her to marry him. Earp did not believe in divorce, and therefore refused. But she ran away with the gambler anyway. Well,
2: how? The, the, they were common law married, so.
1: It well, was legal back in the day.
2: Right. So. He's like, no, you're still my wife. Still but you're married to someone else, but still, I don't no, give a not, fuck.
1: not yet, he wasn't. Yeah, that's what. Not with Josephine.
2: Oh, wasn't with Josephine yet?
1: When did they go to San Francisco? Yeah, it was past
2: Josephine. You just said it.
1: 46 years with Josephine. Well, she changed her name, but this was like the first couple months. You got, I think still you had to be like together seven years or an uh, amount of time to be a common law wife. Right. So, yeah. Um, She ran away with the gambler anyway. The gambler abandoned her in Arizona, though, so she moved to Pino City, Arizona, where she resumed life as a prostitute. Of course, she She did. She struggled with addictions and committed suicide by opium poisoning on July 3rd,
2: 1888. She's a moron. She was just fucking you guys
1: have seen tombstone she she loved the laudium la, oh she laudium. loved it Laud, la, she loved it what was it laudani laudanum it was, or something like that it laudanum something,
2: it was something, like, something that. like that it was the same thing that the chick was on on in uh 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 deadwood mm-hmm. in the first couple couple episodes was. women got on it like big time it was it was i got a headache right and they got fucked up, and they had overdosed like a bitch.
1: I got a headache. Well,
2: Wyatt's friend Luke Short was part owner of the Long Branch Saloon in Dodge City, but the mayor tried to run him out of business and out of town during the Dodge City War. He was like, this, "You're part of the enemy. You got to get out. You Got to go." He's like, "No, I'm going to appeal to Masterson." <laughs> he, did. <laughs> he did. He and did. And Master- Masterson contacted Erp. On May of thirty-first of the eighteen eighty-three year, <laughs> Earp and Josephine went with Masterson, Johnny Millsap, Shotgun John Collins, Texas Jack Vermillion, oh, Texas and Johnny Green.
1: Riding with fucking they uh, all, yep, Wyatt,
2: they all went to Dodge City to help Short. They're like, "We got to go to Dodge City." You're like, "Why? We got to help Short." We got to help Short. Like, oh! And they were sworn in as deputies by Constable Dave Morrow. As soon as they got there, they're like, "All right, welcome, deputy."
1: What? All right.
2: Welcome back, deputy. So these guys are low. These guys are low, man. Right, right from the day one, right from second one. As soon as their fucking horse's first fucking hoof set foot in city limits, these motherfuckers are low, man. Even before they even got to the place, if something were to happen... And the sheriff got there, be like, "No, these guys are long. They men. already knew that they're my they were, deputies. They were
1: already knew that they were on their way, they're so my they, deputies. Already, they already had the paperwork drawn up and everything. Right. Well,
2: the town council offered a compromise to allow Short. they were like, "Hey, Short, we're going to give you ten days to get your affairs in order. Damn it!" But Erp refused to compromise. He's like, "No, he's not. He's going to get more. He's going to get more than ten days." No, Short Saloon. He's going
1: to get less than ten days. He's, gonna more. He's not even going to have to adhere to that 10 right. days.
2: Well, short saloon reopened, and the so-called Dodge City War ended without a shot being fired. Right, it was less than 10 so days. So
1: it came up in that bitch and was like, yeah, this ain't happening, fellas. Dodge City War, done. <laughs> right. Earp arrived in Eagle City, right. Idaho. Well,
2: I said more than 10 days. That's why I meant less than 10 I kept on saying more, less. Yeah. at less than 10 days. It was actually within a day. It's basically like within that day. That, basically that hour. Yeah. No, he said, right. He said, no. So nope. basically, and within, like, there was a 45-second change in fucking time <laughs> where the law was this and it wasn't. And it wasn't
1: <laughs> at all. And they're like, damn, we have no, we have no choice <laughs> well, now. I was there. Fucking like, Wyatt spoke.
2: The music started playing in the bars <laughs> again and people started <laughs> <Right>. walking around. <laughs> <All
1: right. laughs> well, uh The Pharaoh game started fucking playing yep. again. Good right. to have you Everybody walks up to Wyatt. Good to have you back, Wyatt. The guy's playing the yeah. piano and yeah.
2: You know what? Blah, 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 blah.
1: <laughs> Earp arrived at Eagle City, Idaho in 1884 along with Josephine, his brothers Warren and James, and James's wife, Bessie. Eagle- Betsy? Eagle- Bessie? 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 Eagle City was another new boom town grown from the discovery of gold, silver, and lead in the d'Alene area. Yeah,
2: but if you had to name your town a new boom town, it's called New Boomtown. But people know, no. But people know, no. It's the, it's the new boomtown. If you keep on saying it's the new boomtown, they they tend to fail if you keep on saying the new. Because once you say, hey, we're going to the new boomtown, and it's a boomtown, you ain't leaving. If you've been somebody that said, I've been to multiple boomtowns, and this ain't a boomtown, guys, I'll move on.
1: Yeah, sooner or later, uh, unless you have a major, major stake, your shit's going to fucking dry up, and you got to move on. Right. Doesn't mean the Boomtown wasn't successful. For that point in time, it was. But if it was really successful. Doesn't mean it would still continue to be successful after you moved on, just not successful to the little guys no more. Mm-hmm the big guys that are running shit. As That's usually usual. how it goes. As usual.
2: Yeah, if you think about
1: it, all these guys only stay at places for like four or five years. Well, uh, shit gets fucking
2: interesting.
1: Eagle City was another new boom down growing from the discovery of gold silver and lead in the Aline area. It is now a ghost town in right. Shoshone County, Idaho. Okay. Earp joined the crowd looking for gold in the Murray Eagle Mining District, and they paid $2,250 for a 50-feet diameter white circus. In which they opened a dance hall and saloon called the White Elephant. Really? Okay, good for them. Look at this guy. Why it was like. Dude he was, just literally goes to town he and he's like, I'm, gonna, but I'm taking over something and it's going to be mine. Yeah, but this
2: motherfucker was like a cowboy, cowboy, but like fucking I want the fanciest shit. When he ran his shit, that shit was well, fucking. why would you not want It was the legitimate, fancy. but it was legitimate. Well, it was fucking.
1: As legitimate as, as fucking uh, shit could be, right. I guess. You know,
2: right. Compared to, like, say, you know, if you know the fucking other boom towns, you go to a shady ass place. That shit is just dirty as a motherfucker. You know, instantly as soon as you get there. All right, this is the place where uh, I probably really don't want to be. But the place across the street's packed full. But I can't I'm get in. But I'm
1: gonna set up shop anyway.
2: Yeah, because this place has got empty tables to sit and play poker. Table across the street don't. Remember, friendlies. Well, Wyatt was named deputy sheriff in the area as soon as he stepped foot in there. He was like, "Deputy." There's fucking uh uh uh, uh, uh Kevin I, I Ivory Wayans fucking came in and said, "Deputy." He
1: said, "Message." He said, "Deputy." Message for the deputy. <laughs> he said, "Deputy."
2: Uh, yeah. So Erp was like instant, inst, instantly instantly fucking instantaneously fucking, uh, fucking appointed. Uh, he was a fucking Leo, and uh, he was inclu- a Leo. He has a Leo, including Incorporated Kootenay County, uh, Idaho. So, he was that, too? Wow.
1: He was Deputy Sheriff, so which means, Sheriff, you're usually uh, the county. So
2: Right. So, after they got that new county, there were a considerable number of disagre- disagreements over mining claims. Which was
1: disputing jurisdiction of Eagle City with Shoshone County. Right. Which was Cotain. Right. Coot. Co- co- Kutinai County.
2: And this is, what was the other one?
1: Shoshane County. Shoshone County.
2: Shoshone County. So you had two rival counties going back at each other. Uh, there are a considerable number of disagreements over mining claims and property rights.
1: But the other, Shoshone County, had jurisdiction over right. Kootenai. So. Which
2: which those uh, property rights
1: had a part in. So uh, oh. uh,
2: here goes back again with Herb. He's like on the fence of, like, you're a fucking criminal
1: or you're a savior. Not necessarily a criminal, but... Yeah, I mean... Maybe not... Maybe not, uh... operated He in knew... The, in he the knew best how, of his morale. Right. He knew morals, how far he can with, go break, without
2: breaking the law. He went the furthest he can. But... Bitched at others for doing that. But they also broke the law. So as long as he didn't break the law. As
1: long as they were on his side, he didn't have a problem with it. Right. <laughs> Basically. It fucked up. Well, on the 28th of March
2: of 1882... Right? Yep. 1882... A miner named Bill Buzzard was constructing a building when Earp's partner Jack Enright tried to stop him. He was like, What are you doing? He's like, I got to construct this He's building. Constructing a building. He's like, You now. can't just construct this building. Who told you you could do? The fucking owner of the property said, I can construct this building. Well, what's the owner's name? He's like, Dude, what the fuck's your problem, man? The,
1: on- the owner's name is Jack Enright.
2: Right. He's like, Well,
1: I'm Jack Enright.
2: <laughs> what the fuck you saying? you are like, whoa, whoa, wait, wait a minute. Then they, it was like, uh, Buzzard, wait, wait a minute, where were we at? They are both? That's who he was? Wow. Emery claimed that the building was uh, on on part of his property, right? Mm-hmm. And he's like, I am the fucking owner. You didn't fucking have no right hair. And the two men began to argue. Okay, I see. Yeah. I see. It's got to read. Yeah. <laughs>
1: deep
2: right. reading. The two men began to argue. He was like, motherfucker, I'm just doing my job. You're coming out here. And he's like, no, this is my job. This is my fucking property. He's like, blah, 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 whatever. Well, Buzzard fired several shots at Enright with his Winchester. Then allies of both sides took defensive positions behind snowbanks and began shooting at one another. Damn. So how many people were there just waiting for this shit to go down?
1: People lounging around town, and right? Like, damn, shooting start.
2: All right, let's. Get, you get on that side. No you banks. The, you get on this side, and I get on that side. <laughs> well, Earp and his brothers and his brother James stepped into the middle of the fray and helped peacefully resolve the dispute before anyone seriously hurt. So, I, wait, wait, I wait, the way I just read that uh, fucking sentence and how I pictured it in my head, it was Earp and his brother just walking in. Stop, guys! Basically. Like in between, like a dude shooting here and dude shooting here. He just walks in. Stop, guys!
1: Stop! Well, stop! No shooting here. And they're like, "All right, Wyatt, damn Wyatt! All right, we're doing because of you. (laughs) (laughs) We try to impress you, right?"
2: Well, around April (laughs) teenage, ah, jeez, I know. Irpin and his brother James stepped into the middle of the fray and helped peacefully resolve the dispute for anyone seriously hurt. Around April of eighteen eighty-five. Reportedly used his badge to join a band of claim jumpers in Embry Camp, later renamed Chuala Washington. So, Chuala Washington. So he's out of his jurisdiction
1: and doing shit. Yeah, but he's basically a bounty hunter now.
2: Right. Within six months, their substantial stake had run dry. They're like, uh, what are we going to do? He's like, I don't know. Our substantial stake has run dry. <laughs> <laughs> And what they, should we do? <laughs> I don't know. He was like, How about we uh go to Murray, the Murray Eagle District?
1: How about we leave the Murray Eagle District? Because that's the district we're in right now.
2: <laughs> How about we leave the Murray District? <laughs> yeah. So they were like, We got to get the fuck out of here. And they're like, Where are we at? We're, we're in the Murray Eagle District. <laughs> and we got to go.
1: Well, the Kuor Dialine mine venture died out by 1887. So Irp and Josephine went to San Diego, California. Where the railroad was about to arrive and a real estate boom was underway. Right. They stayed for about four years, living most of the time in the Brooklyn Hotel. Ooh. Earp speculated in San Diego's booming real estate market, and he bought four saloons and gambling halls between 1887 and around 1896. See, that's how smart they were,
2: dude. They stayed in a motel for four years. If they were stupid businessmen, they would have went there, built a fucking house. And then broke, because they had to pay for the fucking house and all that. Yeah. Exactly. Fucking great.
1: Well, he bought four saloons and gambling halls between 1887 and around 1896, all in the respectable part of town. All right. They offered 21 games, including Faro, Blackjack, Poker, Mm Keno, Pedro, and Monte. They're
2: motherfucking making some money.
1: At the height of the boom, he made up to $1,000 a night in profit. Right. He also owned the Oyster Bar, located in the first granite-faced building in San Diego, the four-story... Lewis Bank Building at 837 5th Avenue, one of the mm. more popular saloons in the Stingery disc- District. Really? One of the reasons it drew a good crowd was the Golden Poppy Brothel Upstairs. Nice. Mm.
2: I wonder how that, yep.
1: It was owned by Madam Cora. Each room was painted a different color, such as emerald green, summer yellow, or ruby red, and each mm. prostitute was required to dress in matching garments. That's cool.
2: So it, became like a, a, it was like a themed fucking, yeah, but it, it became more of a okay the fucking western shit they didn't have sloppy the, the fucking bitches are getting hammered on slapped around and shit. Here we're gonna have fucking Hawaiian bitches coming and dancing in the room and you ain't gonna do shit. You just go in there and here's what they say. Go in there and lay on the bed. I
1: don't know about Hawaiian but Well you know what
2: I'm saying. They're gonna have bitches coming in here and they're gonna fucking do everything to you. You ain't gonna do nothing. It's
1: still a brothel man. Still a brothel.
2: Still a brothel. Obviously, you can get the fucking morons. The only difference is that, a is that the, ladies, the
1: ladies dressed in the same color as the room was. That's the way I see it. You
2: know I mean? Come on. I was saying <laughs> I mean,
1: It's probably not what happened, but.
2: I was hoping so. Better for the women that way. Well. They just come in and just, that's what you paid for it. no reason to be a fucking douchebag and grab the bitch by the hair and shove your dick down her throat. Well. Back and forth. Still Still happen. Oh, she's puking all over you, and shit. That's disgusting. That's because you're a moron. Because that's what's gonna happen. You're just gonna shove somebody's dick down somebody's throat with no fucking control. Or you're gonna sound like
1: gonna, sound like you have experience. Somebody's
2: gonna puke. I'm saying you ever shoved your finger or you ever watched somebody shove their finger down their throat. They puke. I mean, imagine how many times douchebags. I hope so. I hope every time these douchebags came in and did that, they puked all over their fucking shit. But actually, I don't because I already know what happened after that. They're beating the fuck out of them bitches.
1: What does this got to do with anything?
2: That's to do with whores. I hate whores. <laughs> not whores themselves, but I'm saying the horror, the oh horror business, God. right? What was that?
1: But you're sympathizing with them.
2: Not, not sympathizing with the whores. How am I sympathizing with the horse? You literally are. How?
1: Because I hope they don't come and stick their dick in their mouths and fucking uh, a, they get I'm talking beat about, afterwards. I'm
2: talking about a man being fucking... If they're going to be a whore, they going to be a whore. You should fucking do it. Do it right. There's no reason we have to go in and <laughs> what beat... What is the,
1: the right way to be a whore?
2: Uh, no reason we have to go in and beat the shit out of the bitch.
1: So you're sympathizing with the horse?
2: Not. Oh, not? It's not sympathizing with the whores. It's sympathizing with humanity. <laughs> You know, just beat the fuck out of people for no reason. Obviously, she's there for one reason, so let her do it without beating the shit out of her. Let her suck your dick and fucking do whatever you what do. What you're
1: saying has nothing. Nothing was even. Uh, nothing was even fucking alluded to what you're talking about. Everything is nothing. All of it. None of that. It is though. It, 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 it existed in your own little weird ass mind. It existed in the whole fucking Wild Wild West. Well, not in this fucking thing I just read. So. Thanks for getting way off topic, as usual. Well, I just thought of that,
2: and I was like, wait a minute here. Wait a minute
1: here. <laughs> oh, Lord. This fucking horror Lord. has a mind, too. Oh, Lord.
2: Oh, Lord, low low Is it your turn? No. It's my turn. I get to keep on going. <laughs> wait, wait, what? Well, yep. It is. I didn't do that. I just did that. Yeah. Wyatt Earp was was a last-minute choice as a referee for a boxing match on the, the 2nd of December in 1896, which the promoters billed as the heavyweight champion of the world when um, Bob Fitzsimmons he's going to fight Tom Sharkey at the Mechanics and Pavilion in San Francisco. Shouldn't have any of that, guys. Sorry. I just ruined everything for you people. It's an idiot. <laughs>
1: <laughs> 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 I thought we were going to get this done in a half hour, but. We can't.
2: Erp was the last minute choice <laughs> as referee for a boxing match on the 2nd of December in 1896, which the promoters billed as the Fitzsimmons. Which the promoters as billed. Oh, jeez. Come on. What the <laughs> fuck? All right, here we go which the promoters built as the heavyweight championship of the world when Bob <laughs> Fitzsimmons do it again. was set you to fight to do it Tom again. Shockey at the Mechanics <laughs> Pavilion in San Francisco. The Mechanics <laughs> Pavilion in San Francisco.
1: <laughs> the Mechanics.
2: Well, Wyatt had re- refereed 30 or so matches in his earlier days, though not under the, the marquee of Queensberry rules. But under the older and more liberal London Prize Ring rules, which were like, dude,
1: beat shit on anybody, right?
2: It was basically fucking bare knuckle shit. This is boxing. Well, the fight may have been the most anticipated fight on the American soil that year, or maybe, maybe ever. Up to that point. Up to that point in history, Fitzsimmons was favored to win, and the public and even civic officials placed bets. On the outcome of the oh, of the bout. Oh man! Oh.
1: Fitzsimmons and dominated Sharky, Sharky throughout Sharky. the fight.
2: Oh, and none of them gave Sharky a chance. None
1: of them. Well, Fitzsimmons dominated him throughout the fight, and he hit Sharky <laughs> with his <laughs> solar plexus punch in the eighth oh. round, and uppercut under the heart that could render a man temporarily Whoa. helpless. And what then, happened at? Fin- Fitzsimmons' next punch, Sharky dropped clutches groin and rode on the canvas screaming oh, foul. No. Earp stopped the bout ruling that Fitzsimmons had hit Sharky below the Sharky below the belt, but virtually no one witnessed the punch. Earp awarded the fight to Sharky, whom attendance carried out as a... Wait, as, he awarded a fight to him over that? He awarded the fight to Sharky, whom attendance carried out as limp as a rag. The 15,000 fans in attendance greeted his decision with loud boos and catcalls.
2: Wait a minute here.
1: So, Fitzsimmons was dominating and then supposedly hit him, uh, hit Sharky in the fucking nuts. And Wyatt Earp was like, nope, you're disqualified. Fitzsimmons, Sharky wins.
2: If you hit him in the nuts, then you hit him in the nuts. Well, if you're disqualified, you're disqualified. It's over with.
1: Keep reading. That was the rules.
2: <laughs> well, it was widely believed. Them is the rules. Well, it was widely believed that no foul had occurred and that Earp. Uh, Bet on Sharky himself. He was like, "Mm -mm, I'm a dirty ref. I'm going to do dirty things. (laughs) I'm not going to let you win because I want Sharky to fucking bling blings. Several doctors verified afterward that Sharky had been hit hard below the belt, but but the public had bet heavily on Fitzsimmons and they were livid at the outcome. Livid at the outcome. Bullshit. Well, Fitzsimmons went to court to overturn. Um, Herb's decision, and newspaper accounts and testimony over the next two weeks revealed a conspiracy among the boxing promoters to fix the fight's outcome.
1: Oh, shit. So even back then, they were crying about fixing, huh? Right.
2: Newspapers across the United States re the stories from the San Francisco papers and looked for loco angles. I bet you they couldn't find anything.
1: Well, on December 14, 1896, the San Francisco call... Quoted a story from the New York Journal by Alfred H. Lewis, who accused the Earp brothers of being, being stage staged. robbers. Really, and Earp was parodied,
2: parodied. What? Uh,
1: in editorial caric- caricatures by Parody. newspapers Parody. across, parodied, parodied, parodied in editorial caricatures by newspapers across the country. Stories about the. I- the, about the fight and ERP's right. contested decision were distributed nationwide to a public that knew little he became, of why Earth prior to that time. He
2: became a fucking famous fucking uh, doodle on a newspaper. Wow. Well, on the 17th of December, uh, Judge Sanderson finally ruled that the prize fighting was le- illegal in San Francisco and the courts would not determine who was the winner. Oh. Sharkey retained the purse, but the decision provided no vindication for Earth. So, sort of like, we don't know. We're just going to leave it at that, guys. Until the fight, Earp had been a minor figure known regionally in California and Arizona. Afterward, though, his name was known from coast to coast.
1: Ain't that shit. Ain't that the shit. All this motherfucker did from, the, from now up right. from then up until now. He was only known, like, regionally. Right. Uh, people in Arizona and California know wider. Right. Now, right. some, some fucking boxing decision, fucking, now he's fucking nationally well, that,
2: known. Well, that very own boxing match wow. left a smear on his public character, which followed him until he died. And afterward, and afterward, eight years later, Dr. B. Brooks Lee, Dr. B. Brooks Lee was accused of treating Shockey to make it appear that he had been fouled by Fitzsimmons. And Lee admitted that it was true. He was like, mm. it was. It was uh, yeah, they made me, made me the fucking, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm fucking sorry. I shouldn't have done it, but I fucking did. He says, he goes, well, uh, if you really want to know, i fixed Sharky up to look as if he had been fouled.
1: So he puts him, uh... He put some black and blue powder on his nuts, basically. And they're like,
2: "Why did you do that?" He goes, "Well, I got thousand dollars <laughs> for part of the part of it, right?" He's "I got thousand yeah, dollars. They paid me a thousand bucks, right? Thousand bucks."
1: Herb had a long-standing interest in boxing and horse racing, and he refereed boxing matches in ba- matches in San Diego, Tijuana, and San Bernardino. Damn. In the eighteen eighty-seven San Diego City Directory, he was listed as a capitalist or a gambler. All right. He won a racehorse. He won a racehorse named Auto Rex in a card game and began investing in racehorses, and he also judged prize fights on both sides of the border. He was one of the judges at the county fair horse races held in Escondido, California in 1889. Well, the boom in San Diego came to an end as rapidly as it had started, and the population of San Diego fell from a high of 40,000 in 1885 when Earp arrived to only 16,000 in 1890. Mm. Damn. Motherfuckers left.
2: Right. Well, the Herbs moved back to San Francisco in 1891 so that Josephine could be closer to her half-sister, Henrietta's family. Henrietta. She was like, She was like, Why? It ain't working out. Let's just go back. We know we can make money. I'm going to be back with my family. We're getting older and shit. My Henrietta, she she loves me. She loves us. We can trust them. He's like, All right, let's fucking do it. She's like, Let's do it, babe. Round up the shit and let's go. So they said, "Hoy, hoy." Turned the horses around and headed back to fucking San Francisco. San Fran. And Earp developed a reputation as a sportsman and a gambler again. He didn't develop He was like, hey, wh- what, what is you your that? reputation? He goes, well, I'm a, I'm sportsman, a sportsman and, and a-, a gambler. Take my card. <laughs> and like, well, It says right here he's a sportsman as a g- and a gambler. No,
1: no. We got we to we uh, honor it. Right. Right. Right.
2: He held, he held on to his San Diego properties, but when their value fell, he could not pay the taxes and was forced to sell the lots. He's like, fuck, this is a lot harder than I thought. California, well, California is probably the richest fucking place you can be. You don't got the money, you can't pay for shit, dog. He continued to race horses, though, but he could no longer afford to own own them by 1896. He was like, fuck, I can't own nothing, houses, horses. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> so he raced them on behalf of the anything owner. That, anything right. that starts with an H.
1: Right. So he raced know. the horses
2: on behalf of the owner of a horse stable in Santa Rosa, which he managed. He was like, how about, dude, I'm a fucking good racer. I just can't do it by myself.
1: Guys, <laughs> yeah, I need your help. I'll
2: work on your fucking uh, ranch if you just let me race your horses and you pay for
1: everything. He's all
2: right. They're like, you're going to take care of my horses all year long? I said, yeah, just as long as you let them race. Fuck yeah. All right. So yeah. that's what he did. So what he get did some money from him. Right. Right. And uh, Santa Rosa personally competed and won a harness race. Good for him. Uh From 1891 to 1897, the couple lived in at least four different locations in the city. They lived at 145 Ellis Street. They lived at 720 McAllister Street. And they also resided at 514A 7th Avenue. And they had ended their place of residence at one zero zero four Golden Gate Avenue.
1: So moved around, you know, uh, city. That's well, fine. San Francisco, huh? It's fine. Well, it's fine. Apparently, while in Yuma, Wyatt heard of the gold rush in the Alaska Yukon. On August fifth, eighteen ninety-seven, <laughs> Wyatt and Sadie, right. aka Josephine, left right. for San Francisco. Did what? Earp was reported to have secured the backing of a syndicate of sporting men to open a gambling house there. They intended to catch a ship to Alaska, but their departure was delayed for seven weeks when Wyatt fell seven while getting off a Market Street streetcar and bruised or broke his hip. Holy
2: fuck. Seven weeks is a long
1: time. And well, Sadie got pregnant, too, and she thought she could persuade Earp from heading to Alaska. He was in agreement, but Sadie, who was 37, miscarried mm. soon after. Oh. They finally boarded the steamship Rosalie on September 21st, 1897, they arrived in Dawson in the Yukon in late, in late September, where Wyatt planned to open a feral game. Of course, he did. Oh, Wyatt and Josephine spent only a month in Dawson.
2: Well, when they returned north, Wyatt was offered a job as the marshal in Rangrel, Rangel, Alaska. He was like, We heard about you, Wyatt Earp. Do you want to be our marshal in Rangel, Alaska? He's
1: like, Isn't this Alaska? He was like, I'll <laughs> do like... it for 10 days. <laughs>
2: He was like, "Hell yeah, I'll do it!" But he only served ten days. Sadie learned she was pregnant again, and they returned to San Francisco on the eleventh of October aboard the steamship City of Seattle. But Sadie miscarried once again. Mm-hmm. Why they leave? She's like, "I'm she, pregnant. We gotta go." She was. She like, was it was like a.
1: She's like, "I'm pregnant." It's like they're getting chased race. by the redcoats. I don't want to. raise soon she found the out, she's like, She's like,
2: "We gotta go. We're getting chased by redcoats." She's like, "Are you pregnant? You gotta go." It was like during the middle of the fucking sheriff fucking ceremony for him to be a fucking uh, a law enforcement officer. <laughs> he was like getting sworn in. Right. We she was like, She's like, I'm pregnant. We got to go to San Francisco. He's like, I got to go. Right. Like, uh, we'll go. probably be there around the 11th then, of October.
1: And then the fucking uh, person that's swearing at him is like, I know. <laughs> I know. But why? You can have the baby here.
2: You don't <laughs> like, have to leave.
1: Like, nobody wants a baby in Alaska.
2: Right. Don't, don't. It's cold. <laughs> My feet are still cold. The herbs spent the winter in Rangwell, Rang, Rangel before setting out in the spring for Dawson on board of the Governor Pingree via the Yukon River. So they're on a fucking little boat. By the time they reach Rampart on the Yukon River, uh, Freeze-Up had set in. The Herbs rented a cabin from Rex Beach for $100 a month and spent the winter of 1898 1899 there. They're like, we can't go no further.
1: It's fucking freezing out there. I see a cabin right Damn there. It. It's, let's go. We're going to fucking rent it. In 1898, they got a spar as Rampart before the Yukon River froze in place for the winter.
2: Yeah, they can't go no further. Rampart
1: was a friendly place, but far from the real action. Right. They left with the... They left with the spring thaw and headed for St. Michael on the Norton Sound. Yeah, but why they had to be there?
2: Why couldn't they just stay in Yukon? They had to be in a big area.
1: So these guys are looking for fucking trouble. Oh, this city ain't big enough for us. Where's the biggest city? Well, down there. I'd say not trouble, but... but Basically. Something to make money on, yeah. All right. Well, the Norton Sound was a major gateway to the Alaskan interior via the Yukon River. Wyatt managed a small store during the spring of 1899 selling beer and cigars for the Alaska commercial company. Right. But Wyatt's friend Tex Rickard Ooh. sent him a number of letters belittling Wyatt's steady but small income in St. Michael's. He belittling it?
2: Needs. He's like, you think you're making some money? And persuaded, him to, re- <laughs> you're not,
1: you're persuaded not. him to relocate to Nome. He's like,
2: you think you're making some money? You're not making no money. Guess where I'm making money in Nome.
1: Nome, Alaska. I'm
2: making money in Nome.
1: Well, this is a... Uh, I bet you won't come here and make money this, with me. This is Wyatt saloon in Nome.
2: In Gnome? Yeah. When well, we he got to... there. Uh, wow.
1: He built his Dexter saloon in Gnome, seen here in nineteen oh one as the only second class saloon in Alaska.
2: Well, that's cool. Well at the time Wyatt Earp's, at the time of Wyatt Earth's arrival, Gnome was two blocks wide and five miles long. Which is actually pretty long. That's a big city actually. Holy shit. The best accommodations Wyatt and Sadie could find was a wooden shack about a few minutes from the main street. like, man, everything's fucking dug up. Well, we can make something out of this, can't we? I suppose, Wyatt, but how long is that going to take? It's going to take a while. Right? It's going to take a while. She's like, but it's only slightly better than a tent. He's like, well, that's (laughs) fine. We'll make it better. It's going to be our fucking humongous house. Where the river was open was an open sewer, typhoid, the century, and pneumonia were very, 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 very common. In that September, actually, ERP and partner Charles E. Hoxie built the Dexter saloon in Nome. The which city's was, first just saw the picture up. Right. The city's first two story wooden building and its largest and most luxurious saloon that the city had to offer. The second floor had twelve club rooms decorated with fine mirrors. Thick carpets, draperies on the windows, and sideboards. Like, I've never seen a hotel with sideboards. <laughs> I've never nice uh, sideboards.
1: That's some, uh, that's some fancy stand there in Nome.
2: Right. So these guys, I told you, he was fucking, and he did it. He uh, fucking gave it. Wow.
1: Trading on Earp's name, the Dexter was a success. Trading on Earp's name, the Dexter was a success. It was used for a variety of purposes because it was so large. Right. 70 by 30 feet with 12 feet ceilings. Right. Earp used the club rooms upstairs as a brothel. Right. Another fact that Sadie worked hard to see was omitted from stories about him. Right. So Sadie was like,
2: She did not want to tell Why, those. Why
1: Wyatt Earp didn't run no brothels? You're, you're lying. I did. Well, Sadie justified the surfaces upstairs because the Dexter was a better class saloon and served an important civic purpose. Well, like I said,
2: they weren't bitches getting their asses beat. It was respectable. they were high class whores. Right.
1: Well, the Dexter drew anyone famous who visited Nome. Wyatt rubbed elbows with future novelist Rex Beach. Writer Jack London, playwright Wilson Misner, and boxing promoter. Jack London was there? Jack London. Really? And boxing promoter Tex Ricard, who who er, developed a long-lasting relationship. Rickard yeah. Ricard was a partner in the Northern Saloon and Gambling House in Nome. Both the Dexter and Northern Saloon competed for business with more than 60 other saloons in town serving an estimated 20,000 residents. Hmm. Well, Wyatt told others he made his money by mining the miners. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what did you do? Why mine the miners? Mine the miners. He was arrested twice in Nome for minor offenses, including being drunk and disorderly. Although he was not tried, Right. most members of law enforcement were corrupt or otherwise engaged. Really, this is a uh, Wyatt Earp in Nome, Alaska, yeah. with longtime friend and former Tombstone mayor and newspaper editor John Clum.
2: These guys, nineteen hundred, everywhere together. Look at Wyatt; he's old there. That he's old only like 40. Over there and the left.
1: Yeah, he's only like 40. Yeah, that's 40? Mm-hmm. It's only 1,900.
2: Yeah, that's over for 40.
1: Yeah. Well, this one is uh, it's said to be Wyatt Earp's pistol left behind in Juneau, Alaska, but Earp was arrested, arrested in Nome three days before the date on the sign.
2: Right. So. Well, in November 1899, mm-hmm. Earp, Earp left Alaska on the 258-foot iron steamer Cleveland. He's like, baby, I'm going to go. I'm going to go on that 258-foot she's like, well, um, Iron Steamer Cleveland like, well, over there. I'm coming with you. It's <laughs> like, well, you ain't leaving by yourself. He's like, well, the ship's infested with lice. <laughs> <laughs> you sure you want to go? She's like, that's fine. Well, sure enough, the ship was infested with lice and was struck by a storm on the Bering Sea, making for a difficult, difficult trip.
1: Yes, sir. It
2: took nine days to reach Seattle, Washington. Damn. On the 6th of July in 1900, Wyatt's brother Warren was shot and killed in a saloon in Wilcox, Arizona. Damn. Wyatt learned about his death soon after. Probably like a week or so, probably. And although some modern researchers believe he went to Arizona to avenge his brother's death, the distance and time required to make the trip made it unlikely. And no contemporary evidence has ever been found to support that theory. But why would he instantly pick up and go there it probably took him six months to get there not even that probably how long did it take
1: well he left alaska in 1899 and his brother died eight months later so
2: right so he just learned that he died maybe when he got there when he got there i was hoping people were still there that did it he had his revenge
1: got his revenge he probably did be honest, the, probably people, probably
2: the people are probably still gonna stick around, right? The douchebags that did it because now they fucking took over and it's their fucking.
1: I just killed an earp, that's what they would say.
2: I just killed an earp, and it's my town, so they just fucking right. And then one day, white comes walking in They're like, oh fuck, but
1: they're ready. They're
2: not maybe not be ready, but they're ready.
1: <laughs> earp arrived in Seattle with a plan <laughs> to open a saloon and gambling room. On November 25th, 1899, the Seattle Star described him as a man of great reputation among the tough and criminals. Right. In as much as he formerly walked the streets of a rough frontier mining town with big pistols stuck in his belt, this spurs is... on his boots, and a hey. devil-may-care expression upon his official face.
2: This motherfucker went, wherever he went, and just walked in that bitch like, guess what? I'm
1: wider. They're like... I'm low. Here's a badge. <laughs> <laughs> right.
2: You can well, do what you want.
1: Unfortunately, the Seattle Daily Times was less full of praise, announcing in a very small article that he had a reputation in Arizona as a bad man, which in that era was synonymous with a villain and a desperado. I mean, I can get
2: it. This guy, yeah, he could have avoided a lot of fucking confrontation, but he was just like, you know what? I'm a good man, and I don't allow bad things to happen. So the little shit that I don't like, I'm very agitated. The stupidest shit, so fuck up. Right? And these motherfuckers are,
1: oh, look at you. Bow, 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 bow. Bow, 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 bow. Look at you. No, uh, Man, I went look at on, this guy. I went look at this guy. You come walking <laughs> into
2: a bar at 6 o'clock in the morning to a fucking bar, and you got these drunkards that have been up all night, probably four or five of them, and they're going to be like, look at this motherfucker. You think you're bad? We own this town. I didn't say you can get a drink. Uh, uh, oh, motherfucker, you didn't say you could get a drink? You didn't? Well, guess what? Smith and Weston said I could. <laughs> Thunder and lightning. I'm
1: <laughs> not sure what you're getting at.
2: I don't even know where we're at.
1: Exactly.
2: Who faced... Don't, uh... Don't... Who,
1: who faced... Don't mind. Don't mind dang over here, guys. Who faced
2: considerable opposition? Obviously, he. Who's he? The
1: person we're fucking been talking about for four episodes.
2: Wide art. Wyatt. Well, Wyatt faced considerable opposition to his plan from John Considine, who controlled all three game operations in the town. He was like, dude, no. I control all three operations in this town. It's not good. Can you please, like, change your mind? He was like, dude, please. Well, although gambling was illegal, Considine had worked out an agreement with police chief C.S. Reed. He was like, dude, Come on, I, I, me and Reed, we were fucking on the same page. I'm giving him some money. Earp, Earp was like, you know what? I partnered with an established local gambler, and his name was Thomas Ergrat, And uh, we just opened up uh, a saloon. It's called Union Club. And we're going to be doing gambling, and we're going to be right here in uh, Seattle's own Pioneer Square. So he didn't go there to arrest him. He went there to be like, hey.
1: Why would he go there to arrest him?
2: What I'm saying? He was, he's law. He was doing illegal shit, obviously.
1: It's not law.
2: But he went there. He was like... What are you talking about? He was like, guess it's what... not law. He was like, guess what we're doing? We're fucking going over down across yonder. And what we're are you fucking, talking about? And we're fucking...
1: Wyatt Earp is not law in Seattle.
2: Either way, he went there. He went like a fucking a law man. and went there was like, dude, guess guess what we're doing? See that spot over there? That's going to be us. And guess what we're going to be doing? Taking away your business. And guess what? You're going to be in about a year and a half. un fucking ployed Bitch. And then he turned around and he walked away. Picked up a hammer and a nail and started pounding on his fucking... Well, hey, I doubt he ever did. He probably went to his hotel room and paid somebody to build his fucking little... Exactly what happened. <laughs> <laughs> exactly what happened. Are you done? Yeah. Well, the Seattle Star noted two weeks later... That the herb Saloon was earning a, a large following. They're like, this Earp Saloon guy, is, he's, they're earning a large following. We haven't seen anything like this. Well, Constantine unsuccess, unsuccessfully tried to intimidate Earp. He was like, he, he fucking like growled in from the door. When Earp was sleeping, he went to the window and was like, <laughs> and shook his <laughs> <laughs> He's like, maybe those will be like...
1: Why it's gonna be like? There's a ghost here. I can't yeah. stay. Tomorrow. There's a weird
2: man with fucking toothpaste in his <laughs> and mouth, growled. and he's growling at my window <laughs> at night. <laughs> well, the Seattle Star noted two weeks later that Herb's Saloon was earning a large following. Constantine unsuccessfully tried to intimidate Herb, but his saloon continued to prosper. After the city failed to act on the 23rd of March of 1900. The Washington State Attorney General filed charges against several gamblers, including Wyatt and his partner. The club's furnishings were confiscated and boined. They were booing.
1: Man, and they took all his couches and burned them. Burned them. They're like,
2: you like to gamble? How about this couch? You like this couch?
1: <laughs> how about that? <laughs> I don't know more. It's like, all
2: right, so I got my Russian roulette table that there's 12 people standing around right now throwing money at. <laughs> Here, how <about> this? <laughs> you like this chair? Oh, no, I love nah. that chair. Don't burn well, it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, guess what? 12 more people just walked up it's to exactly. the fucking blackjack table.
1: Newspapers in Seattle and San Francisco, San Francisco <laughs> falsely reported on Wyatt's wealth. Which prompted a stampede to Gnome to seek similar riches.
2: Damn, that's a good fucking. Oh, I'm a little shirt.
1: Damn, it. <laughs> all over my foot. It's all all over, over my foot. It's all over both of oh, my feet. My, my fucking foot is soaked. It's all over both. Of soaked right <laughs> now. It's fucking literally soaked. Both of mine a, are. I'm in a puddle of beer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <Let's> <laughs> one, two, this
2: one too. That's one. This one at the back. I feel
1: cooler now, though. <laughs> Don't well, you? My left leg, at least my left foot. Gnome um, was advertised as an exotic right. summer destination, and four ships a day left Seattle with passengers infected with gold fever. Right. On June fourteenth, nineteen hundred, Wyatt and Sadie boarded the steamer uh, SSS SSS Alliance in Seattle, bound for Nome. They brought many luxurious accessories with them. To decorate the Dexter. Right. The decorate the weeks, Dexter. Nome had grown to a city of over 20,000 inhabitants. In 1900, the major business there was not mining, but gambling and saloon trade. There were 100 saloons and gambling houses with occasional restaurant. Right. Losses of $10,000 per hand in poker were not extraordinary. Ooh, so that's
2: a fucking major, fucking major, booming. Yeah.
1: Prize fighting became the sport of choice, and Wyatt's income soared with side bets. He often refereed bouts himself at the Dexter.
2: Right. Oh, look at that, dude. Look at that. Oh, they are living in a city. They are living in a fucking prosperous fucking...
1: Well, that's in San Francisco.
2: Where he was fucking doing shit. That his saloon right there. That was a little tiny saloon. Oh,
1: that was in Nevada in 1902. We'll get to that. Well,
2: in 1901, in November, at the age of 40, Sadie got pregnant. Sadie got pregnant again at the age of 40. Damn. And Wyatt was like, you know what? We need to leave Alaska. They sold the interest in the Dexter. Uh, they sold the interest in the Dexter to their partner, Charlie Hauksey. They're like, just buy me out, bud. Give me your best offer that you got. I ain't looking to get rich, but you can give me a fair price. He could have actually stayed half owner and fucking left. Possible. So, so he probably got a pretty good chunk of money. Wyatt and Sadie left Alaska on board the SS ronick and arrived in right. L. Al-
1: that is the hotel in Los Angeles. So. Right. Good for them.
2: Well, they left. They left Alaska on the on, on board the SS Roenick and arrived in L. A. at the Hullenbeck Hotel on the 13th of December in
1: 1901. Damn. They had
2: estimated eighty thousand dollars hairs in their pocket, a relative fortune which equivalent to about two point four six million dollars today. They were fucking set for life. These guys were set for life. You would think so. They were going there. They were set for life. Sadie miscarried and lost the baby. Damn. Damn, Sadie.
1: Sadie, you just can't keep a baby.
2: Well, three months later, in February of 1902, they arrived in uh, Tonopah, Nevada, known as the Queen of the Silver Camps, where silver and gold had been discovered. And they are like, hey, hey, babe, we got to go to Tonopah. There's silver and gold, and it's been discovered. Like,
1: isn't $2.4 million enough?
2: She's like, like, babe. No. He was like, babe, this place was discovered in 1900, and boom, and a boom, it has to be underway. It has to be. And she was like, well, I trust you, Wyandere. So say he opened the Northern Saloon in Tonopah, and he served as Deputy U.S. Marshal, Under Marshal. So he was like, I'll come in. And just to make sure he was safe there, he was like, "I'll be a, a assistant U.S. deputy, right? Just under, under, under the."
1: So a deputy, yeah. Right.
2: He was just a deputy. Well, his saloon, oil, and copper mining interests produced some income for a period. So he had he had the saloon, he had the oil, and the copper.
1: Everything. Everything.
2: Right. Again.
1: After. Again, again, out of nowhere. Again. After Tonopah's gold strike waned, they moved in 1905 to Goldfield, Nevada, where his brother Virgil and his wife were living. Tex Ricard was also already there and had opened a second northern saloon. Right. He hired Wyatt as his pit boss. Right. Wyatt also staked mining claims just outside Death Valley and elsewhere in the Mojave Desert. In 1906, he discovered several deposits of gold and copper near the... Sonoran Desert town of Vidal, California, on the Colorado River, and filed more than a hundred mining claims near the Whipple Mountains. Right. While in Los Angeles, they lived in in, a, in at least nine small Los Angeles rentals as early as 1885 and as late as 1929, mostly in the summer. In
2: 1910, he was 62 years old. Wide Earp in 1910, it was 62 years old. The Los Angeles Police Department hired Wyatt and former LA detective Arthur Moore King at ten dollars per hour to carry out various ten dollars per day to carry out various tasks and outside the law. uh, Yeah, they were hired uh, at ten (laughs) dollars a day to carry out various tasks outside the law, such as retrieving criminals from Mexico. Which he did very capably.
1: And he was 62.
2: Right, at 62 years old. This led to Wyatt Herb's final armed confrontation. In October 1910, he was asked by a former L.A. police commissioner, H.L. Lewis, to head up a posse to protect the survivors of. Uh, to protect survivors. survivors. <laughs> In October 1910, he was asked by former L.A. Police Commissioner H.L. Lewis to head up a posse to protect surveyors of the American Trona Company who were attempting to arrest control of mining claims for vast deposits of potash. What's potash? I don't know. On the edge of the Surrells Lake, (laughs) held in uh, reservage by the foreclosed... In, 19, uh, in October 1910, he was asked by a former LA police commissioner, H. L. Lewis, to head up a posse to protect, to protect surveyors of an American uh, Trona Company who were attempting to wrest control of a mining claims for vast deposits of a potash on the edge of a Searles Lake held in reserveship by the foreclosed California Trona Company. So what they were trying to do? Receivership.
1: Right. What were they trying to do? They were trying to fucking stop shit from shit. They were trying to stop something. Right. The mining claims that... uh.
2: Right. Basically, they had to get there.
1: Well, Wyatt and the group he guarded were regarded as claim jumpers and were confronted by armed representatives of the other company. King wrote, It was the nerviest thing that he had ever seen. With guns pulled, Wyatt came out of his Mm. tent with a Winchester rifle around at the feet of federal receiver Stafford W. Austin. Back off or I'll blow you apart or my name is not Y. Erp. Oh, no. The owner summoned the U.S. Marshal, who arrested Erp and 27 others, served them with a summons for contempt of court and sent them home. Earp's action did not resolve the dispute, which eventually escalated into the Potash Wars of the Mojave Desert. All right. On July 23, 1911, Earp was arrested in Los Angeles and charged with attempting to fleece Jy Peterson, a reality, a realty broker, in a fake Pharaoh game. All right. Oh, since money had not changed hands, the charge against ERP was reduced to vagrancy, and he was released. He was released on five hundred dollar bail. Really? Wow. What is this fucking release? Hmm. Oh Wyatt and Sadie together. Right. And we we see.
2: We see a little picture here of uh, Wyatt and Sadie together.
1: And then another one of his tent in Vidal, California.
2: Well, uh, the Earps bought a small cottage in Vidal, the only home they ever owned. Right? So that's the first time they ever owned a house? Owned. Wow. Owned, right? Owned. Well, beginning in 1911 until Wyatt's health began to fail in 1928, Wyatt and Sadie Earps summered in L.A. and spent the rest of the year... In the desert working their claims. So they're like, fuck, we got to do this, right? We got to
1: work our claims in the winter and in desert. And then we're, right. in the summer, we're going to LA, right. L.A., baby.
2: Well, the Happy Days mine was located in Whipple Mountains, a few miles north of Vidal. Why had some modest success with the Happy Days gold mine. And they lived on the slim proceeds of the income from that and oil wells in Oakland and Kern County that they still
1: had. Mm-hmm.
2: So there's, they're living comfortably. They're living comfortably.
1: Pretty much. In about 1923, Charles Welsh, a retired railroad engineer and friend that Earp had known since Dodd City, frequently invited the Earps to visit his family in San Bernardino. Right. When the Welsh family moved to Los Angeles, the Earps accepted an invitation to stay with them for a while in their... Top floor apartment until the Erps found a place to rent. You can't. After Erp and Sadie moved into a bungalow nearby, Charlie Welsh's daughter Grace Spoladora recalled that Sadie, who had never had any domestic skills, did very little housekeeping or cooking for Wyatt. All right. She and her sister Elma were concerned about the care Sadie gave Wyatt. Though he was at times very ill, she still did not cook for him. Spoladora, her sisters, and her mother brought in meals. Mm. Well, he probably fucked
2: her. Right. While well, living in L.A., Earp became <laughs> an unpaid film consultant for several silent cowboy movies. Oh, okay. In 1915, Earp visited the set of director Alan Dwan's movie, The half Breed, starring Douglas Fairbanks. In his autobiography, Dwan recalled, As was the custom in those days, why Earp was invited to join the party and mingle with our background action. Earp became friends with William Hart and later Tom Mix, the two most famous movie cowboys of their era. Hart was a sticker for realism and his depictions of the western life. And May and and uh may have relied on Herbs for advice. She was like, "Why I need your advice on this shit. I don't know. Shit, I know a lot really go." I know a lot, but you know more. And I why I was like, "All right, we'll get this shit out." Blah, 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 blah. Well, Earp later frequently visited the sets of movies director that it was directed by John Ford. He's like, Who's directing that movie down the road? It's John Ford. We gotta go. So they went. They they went they frequently visited John Ford's movies. Uh, whose movie starred Harry Carey. Everybody knows
1: Harry Carey. Well, that's that Harry Carey.
2: Well Ford's son Patrick later wrote. My dad was real friendly with Wyatt. And as a little boy, I remember Wyatt Earp.
1: <laughs> okay, good for him. I remember uh, Wyatt Earp. <laughs> I remember him. All In right. 1916, Earp went with his friend Jack London, whom he knew from Nome, to visit the Damn, set L- L- The same Jack London? Same Jack London.
2: Wait, the writer? Who he knew from no, Nome. No, he will be a blue name. Not same Jack London.
1: Obviously, it is.
2: Jack London's awesome.
1: Who he, knew, who he knew from Nome to visit the set of former cowboy, sailor, and movie actor-turned-film director Raoul Walsh. Damn. Who was shooting at the studio of Mutual, Fum, Mutual Film Conglomerate in Edenville, California. Okay. Walsh took the two men to dinner at Al Levy's Cafe on Main and 3rd Street. During the meal, the highest-paid entertainer in the world, Charlie Chaplin,
2: wow. dropped by
1: to greet our, Wyatt Earp. In
2: 1916?
1: Yep. Wyatt uh, Charlie was impressed by both men, but particularly the former Tombstone Marshal.
2: Wow! Well, in the early nineteen twenties, Earp was given the honorary title of deputy sheriff in San Bern- Bernardino, California. Uh, on the twenty fifth of January, nineteen twenty six, Wyatt's only surviving brother, James, died of cerebral cere- cere- epileptic- ap- epilepsy. I don't know what that is, guys, but also A- A- ap- epilepsy. Ap-lep- Epilepsy, and he died in uh, San Bernardino, California. Hmm. Earp tried to persuade his good friend, well-known cowboy movie star, William S. Hart, to help set the record straight about his life and get a movie made. He was like, you got to help me out. Listen, damn it, Bill. Listen. You got to set this record straight about you gotta my set life. set my record straight, damn it. There's a lot of bad things going around, and I'm the only one left. You got to set the record nah. straight. Right, God, I need a movie. And then Hart was like, "Well, if the story were exploited on the screen by you,"
1: Hart didn't say that.
2: If the story were exploited on the screen by you, he wrote Hart. Oh, right. He gave he gave him a letter. (laughs) He was like, "You gotta do this, Hart. If you don't, if it ain't by you, it'll be it, it. It would do too much towards setting me right before a public." Which has always been fed lies about me, right, right before a public. Which has always been lies before me. I said that.
1: <laughs> he sent. He sent <laughs> a letter. To, lordy, lordy, lord. Holy editing. He sent a letter to, He sent. A, <laughs> he sent a letter to Hart.
2: If the story were exploited on the screen by you, he wrote to Hart, it would be much towards setting me right before a public which has always been fed lies about me. Hart encouraged Ert to first find an author to pen his story. He's like, dude, I can't fucking do it.
1: Before you want to make a movie, you at least need right. a fucking movie. I can't. I can't. Wrote you got to have an it, Arthur. An author An <laughs> Arthur. <laughs> well, good. the author could be named Arthur. You never know. <laughs> in 1925, Ert began to collaborate on a biography with his friend and former mining engineer John Flood to get a right. story told in a way that he approved. Right. Well, that's not really a it's story. Like a, well, it was like a, uh, Ty Cobb. Well, Ty Cobb did the same thing. Flood volunteered his time and attempted to write an authorized biography of Earp's life based on Earp's recollections. It's Ty Cobb. It's Ty Cobb all day. The two men sat together every Sunday in the kitchen of Earp's modest rented bungalow. Right. While Wyatt sipped a drink and smoked a cigar, they tried to tell Earp's story, but Josephine was always present. She often interrupted and insisted, You can't write that. It needs to be clean. She also demanded that they add more pep to the manuscript, which in her mind meant including the word CRACK in all capitals. Uh, Whatever. Uh, In the chapter about the shootout, the manuscript includes 109 uses of the word CRACK. She thought Earp needed to be shown as a hero, and the manuscript includes a chapter titled Conflagration, in which Earp saves two women, one a cripple from a tombstone fire. Well, I get it. She was just looking out for a man and trying to like make her, make his story fucking, you know. But that probably did happen. Well, not to save two women from a fire. Well, he ain't gonna he, pure fiction. Well, he ain't pure gonna, fiction. Yeah,
2: but he ain't going to say a lot of shit that he actually did.
1: Of course he did. That he saved shit. Of course he did. He's Most of the shit that we know comes
2: from him. He's going to say shit that he fucking got in the fucking...
1: Most of the shit we know comes from him.
2: He's going to say shit that he got altercations with. But none of the good shit where nothing happened where he actually did stuff. He ain't not say
1: anything. He didn't like save no two women from a fucking burning building he, into his mi- own. He might have. Yeah, We don't know. Doubt it.
2: We don't know. It's
1: clear that, uh.
2: Maybe it happened at 3 o'clock in the morning and nobody was happening. Nobody it, was up but her and it's, him. It's clear that. No one was up but her and him and they saved her.
1: It's clear that Josephine wanted as much money from this book as possible.
2: So. Right. Well, Flood's writing was slips slid- Oh, stilted. Well, Flood's writing was stilted, corny, and one-dimensional. And the manuscript, completed sometime early in 1926, never found a publisher. Hmm. In 1927, in the month of February, editor Ann Johnson of Bob's Marrow wrote back and was highly critical. She's like, I'm very highly critical of this stilted, florid, and diffused writing she wrote. Now one forgives what it's all about Forget. in the clutter. Well one forgets what it's all about in a clutter of unimportant details that impedes its pace. And the pompous, 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 and the pompous manner of its telling. Spolidora, as a teenager, had visited the herbs many, many times in her family home in Needles, California. And she sometimes went to San Diego with them. In an interview with the San Bernardino Historical Society in, in, in the year 1990, she attributed the highly exaggerated stories about Wyatt Earp to Josephine. She said Josephine would always interfere whenever Wyatt would talk with Stuart Lake. She always interfered. She wanted him to look like a church-going saint. And blow things up. Why didn't want that at all? Of
1: course he didn't. Well, Hart tried to help. In February 1926, he wrote the Saturday Evening Post and encouraged him to publish Flood's biography so that right. the rising generation may know the real from the unreal. But right. Flood was a horrendous writer horrendous. and publisher after publisher rejected the manuscript. Publisher after Several publisher. copies were made and sold in 1981, and the original carbon copy of the type manuscript found among Josephine Earp's papers was given by Glenn Boyer to the Ford County Historical Society.
2: 1981? Yep. Okay.
1: And now comes the sad paragraph, boys and girls. Hopefully Dang don't fuck it up too much.
2: Wyatt Earp was the last surviving Earp brother and the last surviving participant of the gunfight at the O.K. Corral. When he died at his home in the Earp's small rented bungalow at Four zero zero four West Seventeenth Street in Los Angeles. He died of chronic cystitis. 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 S y s t i t i s. He died of that on January thirteenth, nineteen twenty-nine, at the age of eighty years old. The Los Angeles Times reported that he had been ill with liver disease for three prior years. Which brother, Newton, had died almost a month prior on the 18th of which December? Which brother? Newton. His brother, Newton.
1: You said which brother, Newton? <laughs> His brother.
2: His brother, Newton, died on the 18th of uh, fucking 1928. About a month earlier. Wyatt was survived by Josephine and sister Ad- Adelia Earp Edwards. He had zero children. Mm. Charlie Welsh's daughter, Grace... He's not
1: about a bitch. One of the greatest motherfuckers in uh, American history, and he no has children. no fucking children to carry right. on his bloodline, man.
2: Charlie Welsh's daughter, Grace Spolidora, and his daughter-in-law, Elmo, were the only witnesses to Wyatt's body's cremation. Josephine was apparently too grief-stricken to assist.
1: Uh, well, the funeral was... He died how- eight
2: years old. He was very a mean old fucking...
1: A- a bastard. Yeah. The funeral was held at the Congressional Church on Wilshire Boulevard. Earp's pallbearers were William J. Hunks- Hunsucker, Earp's attorney in Tombstone and noted Los Angeles attorney. Damn. Jim Mitchell, right. the Los Angeles Examiner, reporter, and Hollywood screenwriter. writer George W. Parsons, who was the founding member of Tombstone's Committee of Vigilance.
0: Uh-huh. Wilson
1: Misner, a friend of Wyatt's during the Klondike Gold Rush. John Clum a good friend from his days in Tombstone and right. the former Tombstone mayor and the editor of the Tombstone epitaph. Right. Remember, those motherfuckers were everywhere in the last story. They got they had all the dirt. Right. William S. Hart was a good friend and Western actor, and Tom Mix, a friend and Western film star. Nice. Mitchell wrote Wyatt's local obituary. The newspapers reported that Tom Mix cried during his friend's service. Nice. <laughs> okay. Uh, when Josephine did not attend Wyatt's funeral, Grace Spolidora was furious. She didn't go to his funeral even. She wasn't that upset. She was peculiar. I don't think she was even that devastated when he died. Right. Here we look at uh, both of their, uh, mm. their, their uh, fucking uh, tombstones. 1939, Wyatt
2: died. 1944, Josephine. Well, Josephine was a Jewish. Had Herb's body cremated and secretly buried his remains in the Marcus family plot at the hills of Eternity Memorial Park a Jewish cemetery in Colma, California. She was like, fuck that. He's got to go here. When she died in 1944, her body was buried alongside his ashes. She had purchased a small white marble headstone, which was stolen shortly after her death in 1944. It was discovered in a backyard. They always stolen. Right. It was discovered in a backyard in Fresno, California. A second stone of flat granite was also stolen.
1: Idiots. On July 7, 1957, grave robbers dug into the Earp's grave in an apparent attempt to steal the urn containing his ashes. Wow! Unable to find his cremains, they stole the 300-pound uh, gravestone. Actor Hugh O'Brien, who was playing Earp in the 1955-61 to television series, The Life and Legend of Wyatt Earp,
2: right. offered
1: a reward for the stone's return. It was then located for sale in a flea market.
2: Oh, jeez. Wow. Well, cemetery officials reset the stone flush in concrete. But it was stolen once again. Actor Kevin Costner, who played Earp in the 1994 movie *Wider*, offered to buy a new, larger stone. But the Marcus family thought his offer was self-serving and declined. Of course it did.
1: He's only doing it for publicity. Right. Fuck. Fuck Kevin Costner. Right. That's all I gotta say. Right.
2: Descendants of Josie's half-sister Rebecca allowed a Southern California group... In 1988-1999, to erect a stone currently in place, the earlier stone is on display in the Coma Historical Museum. Mm. In
1: 1957, the Tombstone Restoration Commission looked for Wyatt's ashes with the intention of having them relocated to Tombstone. Right. They contacted family members seeking permission and the location of his ashes, but no one could tell them where they were buried. Not All even right. his closest, closest living relative, George All right. Earp. All right. Arthur wow. King, a deputy to Earp from 1910 to 1912, finally revealed that Josephine had buried Wyatt's ashes in Colma, California, and the Tombstone Commission canceled its plans to relocate right. relocate them. Right, their gravesite is the most visited resting place in the Jewish cemetery. Of course, it is it's fucking crazy. Even though Wyatt was never Jewish, but
2: well, Josephine wrote in her memoir that she and Erb were married in 1892 by the captain of multimillionaire Lucky Baldwin's yacht off the california coast raymond nez wrote that his grandparents witnessed the marriage but no public record has been found for the marriage baldwin was a horse breeder and racer who also owned the santa anita racetrack in
1: la which Earp frequented oh that's uh important but uh right Earp's relationship with josephine was temptuous at times She gambled to excess, and and he had adulterous affairs. Oh, sure. He knew that she preferred Josephine and detested Sadie, but he had a mischievous sense of humor and began calling her Sadie early in their relationship. Right. Earp's good friends in the Welsh family did not appreciate Josephine's gambling habits, and they noted that she received an allowance from her half-sister, Rebecca, and gambled it away, often leaving her husband hungry.
2: Right. Well, in the 1920s— Fuck Josephine. right, right. In nineteen twenties, Earp gave Josephine signed legal papers and filing fees to to a claim for an oil lease in Kern County, California. Why would he do that? Wow. Well he still loved her and he was like wow. he knew he was gonna die.
1: Well he died nine years later. <laughs> so
2: <laughs> I know I'm gonna die nine years later, but <laughs> take this. She gambled away the filing fees and lied to him about what happened to the lease. Which later turned out to be valuable.
1: Wow, so she cost him a lot of fucking money is what happened.
2: He distrusts her ability to manage her finances and made an arrangement with her sister, uh, Henrietta Lenhart. Mm. He put oil leases in Henrietta's name with agreement Wow. So right. he's
1: like, Fuck my wife. Right. He probably fucked Henrietta too. Most to be likely.
2: Honest. He put oil leases in Henrietta's name with agreement that proceeds would benefit Josephine's after his death. She so was like Make sure that she's taken care make of. Make sure that fucking she gets what Even she needs. You know, she's a dumb basically. bitch.
1: Basically, make sure she gets what right. she needs. Well, in uh,
2: 1926, in the month of February, the oil well was completed and producing 150 barrels a day. But Henrietta's three children refused to keep the agreement after their mother's death and kept the royalties to themselves. Oh, shit. Josephine sued her sister's estate in the attempt mother. to collect so the royalties. Henrietta died before
1: Josephine. Right. So. so
2: Josephine was like,
1: look, motherfuckers. This is mine. Right? Well, Josephine later developed a reputation as a shrew who made life difficult for Earp. She frequently griped about his lack of work and financial success and even his... Financial success? Offer? Is had like $2.4 million? Right. Oh, and he's a, he, he's she even 16-year-old. griped about his character and personality, and he often went on long walks to get away from her. Right. <laughs> he was furious about her gambling habit, which during which she lost considerable sums of money, each may have engaged in extramarital affairs. Obviously. Obviously.
2: He did, for sure. She did, too. Well,
1: probably. Josephine could also be controlling, and a relative Wyatt joked that nobody could convict him of cold-blooded murder because he had lived with her for almost 50 years. Uh, 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 uh,
2: yeah. Well, at the time of his death, Wyatt Earp may have been more well-known for the controversy that engulfed him after the Fitzsimmons versus Sharkey match in San Francisco. Not about
1: a bitch. All the shit that he did, he's fucking uh, more well-known ar- around the fucking right. country for a boxing match.
2: Than for the gunfight in the OK Corral. His Associated Press obituary gave prominent attention to his officiating of the Finn simmons fight while describing him as a gunfighter whose blazing six-shooters were, for most of his life, allied with the side of the law and order.
1: Well, good for that. At least they fucking uh, painted him in the right picture for that, right. huh? In its January 14th, 1929 obituary, the Los Angeles Times wrote a fictional account of Earp taming Colton, California. This is fictional, people. As Deputy United States Marshal Earp had been sent from town to quell disturbances and establish peace. His only recorded visit to California in those days was his memorable trip to Colton, then known as the toughest town untamed. Within a week, why Earp had the town running like a clock? but at the cost of not a few lives of prominent citizens. I mean,
2: were they prominent
1: could shoot. Earp could shoot with his two guns from all angles and instantly made his presence felt in Colton. Long after his death, he has had many voted detractors and admirers.
2: Right. Wide modern day reputation is that of the Old West's toughest and deadliest gunman of his day. Mm. He is a cultural icon, a man of law and order, a mythic, mythic figure, figure of a West where social control and order were notably absent. Yep. Due to Lake's uh, fanciful biography and because Y outlived all of his brothers, his name became famous and he is the primary figure in many movies, TV shows, and biographies and works of fiction throughout the world.
1: It's true. Wrapping it up, Western historian and author John... Bosenecker describes Earp as he was an enigmatic ana- uh, adniti- uh, admi- ag- <laughs> Ignite. figure. Enigmatic. He always lived on the outer fringe of respectable society, and his closest companions were gamblers and sporting men. Wyatt never sat down roots in any one place. When the money stopped coming in or his problems became too great, he would pull up stakes and move on to the next down Right. Which we uh, saw many times. All right. For his entire life was a gamble, an effort to make money without working hard for it, to succeed quickly without ever settling in for the long haul. And he did it. And he, and did, he it. did it. he fucking did it. His whole life.
2: He did it everywhere he went. Everywhere he everywhere went.
1: Everywhere he went. Everywhere he went, he, he made was... money. He fucking took over the town that he fucking went in, basically. Fucking, fucking, uh, just made fucking money, dude. Money. 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 Right. Holy shit.
2: Wherever he went. Fucking Wyatt Earp's a goat.
1: What a fucking uh... what a series! What a fucking epic end to this four-part series, man!
2: Still never said when he died and what day.
1: Yes, you read you read that. I read that. Yes, he mm-hmm. died in.
2: Uh, where, oh yeah, I remember that. Okay, all right.
1: Died at the Herp Herp Small rented bungalow at right. forty four or forty oh four West Seventeenth Street, nineteen twenty nine, January thirteenth, nineteen twenty nine, at the, the age, age of eighty. Of 80. Yes, boys and girls. What a fucking epic... I mean...
2: He lives a life.
1: This episode wasn't nearly as exciting as uh, the first three, but damn, he did some shit even after fucking doing some shit. I thought it was
2: exciting throughout the whole fucking time. All four episodes. All four episodes. First episode, we saw
1: him uh, become... uh, the young brother. man that more, he was, more, and try to likely, run out.
2: more likely his brother is fucking running a fucking try to run away,
1: uh, try to run away to join the Civil War because he wanted to fight with his brothers, to That's being it. with his brothers uh, in multiple brothels, to being in trouble. With it's the all about like a horse for all him, the way. It's whole yeah, life. it's all life all the way. Getting to tombstone in the second episode, we profiled the shootout at the OK Corral and the aftermath, and his brothers getting wounded and unfortunately Morgan getting murdered. Right. And then the third episode, we covered all about the Wyatt Earp Vendetta ride where we just established in the beginning of this episode, 19 motherfuckers were gunned down. Gunned down. Vengeance was seeked. Seeked. Against all those motherfuckers. And then episode four, part four, dude did everything. Dude did literally, everything if Everybody that- was hoping to have a life, Right. If anybody was hoping to have a life, it was was fucking Wyatt Herbert's life. And he did. This dude literally did everything. he had it. Everything.
2: And he did everything he wanted to do. Fucking
1: crazy, dude. Fucking great. Fucking crazy. And by my opinion, the best fucking series that we've done for fucking Outlaws and Gunslingers is probably four of our best episodes that we've done Ah, in our history of our podcast, first of all. I don't
2: know about podcasts, but.
1: Definitely the best four episodes we've ever done in our podcast. As, yeah. as this
2: podcast of the Outlaws and Gunslingers?
1: That's Mouth the Michiganders. Oh, no, definitely not. What's better?
2: We've done multiple better ones. What's better? A lot. What? A lot. What? I don't think of them right now, but they're definitely better than this.
1: Yeah, I don't know about that. They're these, pretty good. These four parts for the wide Earp was epic as fuck.
2: Pretty good. I loved it.
1: And now, guys, that leaves us in a little bit of conundrum because, uh, now we don't know what we're going to do for next week's Outlaws and Gunslingers because the last four weeks have already been uh, <laughs> predetermined for Wyatt Earp. So I don't know what we're we going to do. do. Anything about we we're probably ca- going to have to do a town of some sorts. we got all kinds of shit you can do. Probably going to have to do a town of some sorts. But yeah, this is already approaching like an hour and a half. Each of these episodes has been like an hour and a half for fucking Wyatt Earp, first of all. Wyatt Earp. But yeah, if you guys fucking. Uh, are just tuning in this for the first time? Go check out the other three episodes of the Wyatt Earp saga. Go check out Monday Night War Chalong, where we went from fucking the first episode of Monday Nitro. Watch the main events of all oh, nitros right. and raws and yep. pay per views in between. Give our thoughts, give our rankings on all that. Yep. We're currently up to the nineteen ninety six.
2: 1996, 1996. Starcade. We're going into ninety seven Hogan. We're going into ninety seven. We got. I think we got. Uh, maybe well, we got. We got. We got Hogan. Maybe a uh, WWF in I your house next but one, we got a Royal no, Rumble. House. And we got well, a Royal uh, Rumble. In our house
1: I don't think was uh, released. Yeah. So we got a Royal Rumble. Personally for us watching, we're building or actually I think our next one we got to watch is Hogan versus Roddy Piper at Starcade 96. Yes. And then we have Debate 8 where we take 8 random topics which honestly that might be renamed to uh
2: Debate something. What are you
1: for? uh, it's, uh,
2: uh what are you for?
1: What are you for with maybe. four topics instead? Because eight topics is getting a little uh, extravagant. But either or debate eight is that what's it? That's it's a little too long. Now.
2: It's a little too long what we're doing. And then but we also really have
1: hard. this week in classic rock history. Four shows a fucking week, guys. Plus right. maybe we'll have some bonus fucking. Uh, Lee and Corey shit. Maybe we have some uh, bonus stuff. Sports is starting there, up again. There so, is a Lee uh, and
2: Corey in progress, guys. Expecting them amount of Sports a month.
1: is starting up again, so maybe we'll have some sports shit again. Either way, you can go to mouthofmichiganders.podbean.com. Check out all of our shows. And Like I said, at least four shows a week. 100% no less than four shows a week. michiganders.podbean.com We are the Mouth of Michiganders with Bang Day!